Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, welcome to the third Encounter Series episode this summer. I want to start out by saying that tomorrow is my wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary to my man. 22 years. Congrats to us. Uh, You guys, we have a great show today. Inez Franklin is on this show. And the whole Encounter Series, you know, is people telling us how they started following Jesus. And Inez has a wonderful story that includes so much heartache and hardship uh, that she experienced. And how she started following Jesus is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Inez serves as a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church in Southern California. And her and her husband, James, live in California. You're going to be very encouraged by her story today. It's full of grace. Full, full, full of grace. And she came to faith later in life and how God has been using her in so many ways, including teaching and serving others. You're going to be so encouraged. Friends, before we jump into hearing today's encounter story, I wanted to take a moment to share the story of another life changed through the gospel by the intentional generosity of someone just like you. As 11-year-old Stephanie walks to her house on a very cold afternoon in the Peruvian Andes, she said, I rub my hands together and blow on them nonstop to try to stay warm. It feels like the cold penetrates your bones, especially at night. At this altitude, the air is thin and sharp as a knife. Everyone in her community tries to make it back home before 4 p.m. to get out of the worst of the weather. These are the sad days, says Flora, Stephanie's mother. We have to save food weeks in advance. There's no work. Some animals die and we can't even eat the meat because they're sick. The sun comes out, but it's still very cold, says Flora. This family's sentiment is echoed throughout this mountainous region during one of the most extreme weather conditions in southern Peru. From May to August every year, the temperatures can reach 15 degrees Celsius below zero, hitting the least privileged and most vulnerable households the hardest. Flora's husband struggled to find steady work while Flora managed to find work caring for 14 toddlers. She also taught herself to make and sell handcrafts, but their income was barely enough to meet their needs. One day, an unusual advertisement coming through a speaker in her neighborhood caught Flora's attention. It was the local church. They said there was a new program in town and local children could be registered there. Stephanie is so grateful to be part of the Compassion Center now. She says, it makes me feel good. It makes me glad. It's different. The people there are very kind and nice to us. I've made new friends already. They teach us about God. They gave me a Bible and I really like it. Flora loved seeing her daughter excited and enjoying herself at her new center. Flora also began to attend church to get to know God more, and new doors were opened for her as an answer to her prayers. This could not have come at a better time in their lives. Flora's gratitude is heartfelt. I'm so grateful to God, she says. This is why I don't stop attending church now. I'm learning about God thanks to the pastor. God always sends us his blessings, and he is helping us through the center now. 
You guys, Compassion International has been working to release children just like Stephanie from poverty in the name of Jesus through its one-on-one child sponsorships. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, your $43 a month will provide food, clean water, education, medical and dental checkups, and above all else, the ability to learn about Jesus and flourish through the local church. Our family has been sponsoring Brian in Kenya, Mia in Mexico City, Kiera in Peru, and Wansley in Haiti for years. You know what, guys? The best news also is that your Compassion sponsorship doesn't just provide the needs of that child, but Compassion cares for the whole family and their community. There are more than 100,000 children awaiting sponsorship. Listeners of the Happy Hour have partnered with Compassion throughout the past few years, accounting for more than 500 sponsorships. We want to add to that number this summer through our encounter series with the goal of 200 new child sponsors. We need your help for this. If you would love to partner with Compassion in bringing hope to a child today, simply text Ivy Media to 83393. That's Ivy Media, I V E Y media to 83393 or go to compassion.com ivymedia the link is also in the show notes that's compassion.com ivymedia together you and i can partner with the global church to give transformational hope to families around the world ines welcome to the happy hour Thank you. It's a joy to be with you today. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here this summer with us for our encounter series uh, as we just are hearing stories all summer long about people encountering Jesus. And so before we hear your story and dive into that, I'd love it if you'd introduce uh, yourself and your family and what you do uh, to all of my listeners. I love it. Well, I'm so happy to be with you during the summer. I love the whole series of stories. And so I'm excited to share a little bit about me. Uh, So I am a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church in Orange County, California. I also founded and run a nonprofit uh, ministry. It's an online discipleship ministry called Trochia Ministries. And my husband and I own real estate together. And so part of my role is more what is that right brain? Uh, I'm the CFO. I'm the CFO of our real estate business. So that's kind of what I do on on the business side, my tent making, shall I say. Yes. But on the ministry side, I love that I get to teach God's word and share a message of hope with others. I love it so much. Oh, and, and about my family. And you have grandkids, have, I was going to say. <laughs> I do. I do. So I have, we have five children. We're a blended family. It's part of my story. He came with two daughters. I came with a son and two daughters. And they're all adults and have children. So we have nine grandchildren, four of them, which are here in our home today, downstairs in a movie theater with popcorn and drinks and a great movie. So we're, we're going to be okay. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not going to bother us. But even if they do, we would welcome no. them onto the show. Um, I love it. Well, I'm excited to hear from you. And I got connected to you through a mutual friend. Um, about a, they, were, they were telling me about a book that you released in, in March. Yes. So tell us about your book that you recently released in March. Yes. The book is called Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. And it's a combination of my personal testimony the stories of the Bible that kind of fit the same idea that our journey of faith is not as linear as we'd like it to be, that it has twists and turns, things don't happen the way we expect. And yet we have a beautiful, wonderful Lord who wants to walk with us every single step. And so that book is like my heart. It's out there. The story is out there. I'll share some here, obviously, but there's more of my story there, but also stories of the Bible. So it's a Bible study 
it has spiritual practices at the end of every chapter to kind of nourish that relationship with God because we're all prone to get very anxious when we can't control things, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And so my book was to help us all have a little bit more hope and peace about that. I love that so much. And I remember when I was reading about your book and you had a little bit of your story there and I thought, well, I for sure want to have her on this summer to tell us about her story. So I would love it if you Thank would just you. tell us a little bit about your childhood because from what I know, I don't think you grew up with faith as a part of your home, but you can no. correct me. So I'd love to hear about your childhood growing up. Yes. So I'm from Puerto Rico, Naranjito, Puerto Rico. It's in the mountains of a small island in the Caribbean. And I'm number six of seven children raised by a single mother. And my mom rebelled against the church. She felt that ah, a bunch of hypocrites in there. Mm. They go into the church, mia culpa, mia culpa. And then they come out and gossip and do all kinds of things. And so she didn't want to go to church. But my abuelita, my grandmother, she insisted in giving us some sort of faith background. She was a strong believer, Bible reader. And so she took us to the Catholic church whenever she could, not too often, but she did take us to catechism. And I had an experience uh, on the very first catechism class where I asked a question that the nun didn't know how to answer, which was, where was God standing when God created everything? It's a good question, a great right? question, yes. <laughs> But I think she was a little stumped by my question, and she didn't probably didn't respond at her best that day. Mm -hmm. She sent me to the back of the chapel to say uh, prayers and ask God for forgiveness for my lack of faith. Oh, no. So that's how my journey of faith started. <laughs> You're like, this is not what I wanted. This is uh, discouraging. I that. How old were yes. you when that happened? I was about seven, I think, okay. is when you do catechism, mm -hmm. seven, eight, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And so... I, my next class, I had another experience. I talk about this in my book where, you know, the nun was talking about heaven and I wanted to go to heaven that day because it sounded amazing. Why not? But I had already been chastised for asking the question the first time. So I didn't ask the question. Mm. And I, I don't need to tell the whole story here unless you want me to. But I ended up going home wanting to go to heaven that day. And the Lord stopped me. He, I actually was going to jump off the roof of my house. Uh, okay, I know, wait. Seven year old. You're a seven year old, and you're like, yes. I want to go to heaven so badly. Was there yes. not to make light of the situation at all? But was there any sort of like understanding of what that meant, like death, and that that there was death that would precede heaven as a seven year old in your mind, or what yes. was that? Yeah, yeah. Is that amazing that the nun told us that one day we would all go to heaven, and that this was a place where there would be no suffering, no pain, no sorrow. And in my brain, I went from A to Z instantly. Wow, I, yeah. Okay, then why are we here? Mm -hmm. Why are we waiting? I was already dealing with some challenges in my life. Again, my father left before I was a year old. I had lots of siblings. My mom was overwhelmed. So there was some stuff that wasn't all that pleasant to live with. Mm. So it sounded to me, let's go to heaven today. Yeah. And yeah, I, I knew that that meant I was going to have to die, but I wasn't afraid. Mm. I, I just felt like, I'm headed to a better place. Why not? Yeah. And I literally heard God's voice in Spanish, bajate, which means get down. And I did. I got down and I sensed the Lord telling me that I, it was not my choice to go to heaven. That was his. Wow. But that started for me, and there's more in the book about that, but that started for me this journey of, wait a second, we're, we're kind of have to live here but it's a difficult place to live. And there is a God. I knew for sure God existed by then. And he's watching over us and he's in charge. Mm. So I kept a distance from him. I didn't tell anyone about that experience. 
And I don't remember a single thing I was taught after that class. So I know I went to the catechism because I have a picture with the white dress, Mm -hmm. but I, and I took communion after that, but I do not remember anything they taught after that. Mm -hmm. I was so close-minded about God from that experience. And because I didn't share it with anyone, there was no one to help me Mm -hmm. process that. Yeah. That's a lot to process. It wasn't until I was 40. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until you were 40. Okay. So we just went from seven to 40. To 40. Okay. So you have this experience <laughs> yes. as a young child where you have this encounter with God and you hear his voice and you have uh, your grandmother who wants to take you to church, but you're still living in the same home with your mom and she's struggling. So I'd love for you to give us a little bit of your path. Like at 40 is when you started following Jesus, but you had lived a lot of life before that. Yeah. I'd love to hear yeah. about your life and where you saw the hand of God on your life, even before that 40 year old uh, conversion. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So clearly my abuelita still took us to church. I remember going to Ash Wednesday services and a few other things, but it wasn't until I was 16 that we moved out of California and I'm sorry, moved out to California from Puerto Rico. And while we were here, my abuelita was no longer available to take Mm. us to church. So we stopped going to church altogether. And I went to high school. I struggled because my English was really bad. And my mom was trying, she told us all, go get a job. Everybody has to go get a job because we have to figure out how to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And I got a job at a pharmacy store and my brother's and sister got a job at a theater and she got a job in an accounting firm. And there we were trying to make ends meet, uh, struggling. So as soon as I turned 18, I moved out on my own mm. and tried to go to college, really struggled with college, literally flunked college because mm-hmm. I didn't have the English capacity to write back. I understood what was being said, but I couldn't say it back mm-hmm. in test or anything like that. So I got married very young. I was 19 when I got married to a young man who was from a Jewish family, which my abuelita would write me letters saying, no, you have to marry a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I wasn't living the, the walk. Yeah. So we, we got married very young, had a son. And in four years, our marriage fell apart. We had a lot of problems. He has an anger problem to this day. Mm. And my, um, we have financial problems. And I decided I had to start over. I needed, I had made a mess out of my life. I needed to start over. So I ended up divorced at 23 years old, mm. now with a one and a half year old. But I thought, well, mulligan, I used the golf analogy, you know, you, okay, mm-hmm. I messed it up there. I'm still young. I can start over. Mm-hmm. And so I went with that attitude, completely away from God, not seeking God for anything. And I ended up marrying two years later, a young man from a Roman Catholic background. So my abuelita was happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she stopped writing me letters. Yes. And, but he was not interested in the matters of faith. He, he you know, once in a while we, we went to church. I don't even remember why. Mm-hmm. And it really was like that for most of my life. So we were married 15 years, had two daughters. And uh, after 15 years, we ended up with a second divorce. Mm. And I started to realize, okay, I'm trying to be a good person. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do life, you know, the best that I can. I, I think I felt like I was a survivor and trying to work hard, trying to make good money. I didn't want to be poor again. I grew up mm-hmm. poor, so I worked really hard to try to um, make ends meet. And uh, But I made a mess. And I realized that now I've been divorced twice, and I'm the common denominator. Mm. It's like, there's two of them. There's only one of me. So there's something wrong here. And I started to reflect. I, that's, I think, when my heart started to be open to 
something beyond me, mm. myself and I. Mm -hmm. And my son, now having gone through two divorces, he was a little kid when he went through the first one, but still he, he was seeing his father every other weekend. Now he had another mm. stepdad to see every other weekend and that confusion, it really, really wrecked his heart. And so he went towards a drug abuse mm. for about seven years. Wow. And that's when it started. It started after my second divorce. So now I had two divorces. My son was uh, deep into a drug addiction in his teenage years. And once again, I think my knees were buckling. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. I was starting to really, I know it should take less than that. But for me, I was so stubborn. I was still not there. Mm. And my, um, I, when I got my second divorce, I needed to go back and get a job. I had tried to quit my job to save my marriage, thinking maybe being home and being mm -hmm. more of a, a housewife and not a woman looking out for a career, I could do better, but that didn't work. So I decided, okay, I need another job. I have three kids on my own now. And I wrote a letter to my prior boss saying, hey, I need a letter of reference because I, I have to go get a job. And he said, come back to work with me. I'll, I'll find a job for you so you can raise your kids. And we were friends. We knew each other for many, many years. And he was a great boss. And my friend said, no, Inez, you should not, you shouldn't go back there. I was like, you don't understand. I have three children. I need I a job. Yeah. I have to figure this out. And she's like, no, you're, you're divorced now. And he's married and you've known each other for a long time. And I just saw how you guys interacted because we were friends. And I think you could, you could end up in an affair. Mm, your friend told you this. My friend told me. And she shocked me. I was so hurt by that. I was like, how could you accuse mm. me? I had not had an affair. I had yeah. two divorces for very specific reasons, but never an affair. Mm -hmm. I thought, how could you say that? And how would you say that about me? And I think I went back to work for him. Well, I needed the job, mm -hmm. but I had other job offers. I went back almost to prove her wrong. Mm -hmm. Like I was a good person who had dealt with some really hard things. I wasn't trying to do awful things in my yeah. life, even though I obviously was landing in the wrong place over mm -hmm. and over again. Anyway, in a year and a half, I proved her right. Mm. We spent a lot of time together. He wanted to know what happened in my marriage. We worked really well together. So we would go to lunches or when we go, went out of town, we'd hang out together. And of course, one day he walked in my office and I just knew, I knew something changed. And so right away I said to him, you, get, you go get a divorce because that's where you're headed. I understand what that's like. We could talk some other time. I'm never going to get married anyway. Uh, but that he would not, he would not take that for an answer. Mm -hmm. And so he continued to pursue me. And that's when my knees buckled because now I proved my friend right. Mm -hmm. I couldn't say I was trying to be a good person. There's no good person, you know, when we do this. I obviously needed something, and I didn't realize it at the time, that he somehow provided for me mm -hmm. that allowed me to make such a decision. But still, it was a big moment. And in the middle of that season, he said to me out of the blue, do you want to go to church? And I thought, okay, why not? We're, I mean, lost our friends. Our workspace was a disaster. Of course, his wife was devastated. His children were devastated. My friend was super angry with me because she told me ahead mm -hmm. of time, hey, don't do this. So we were so alone. And we started going to a different church every Sunday. So I want to pause right here because I have a question, couple of questions. Sure, sure. He ended up getting a divorce. 
He did. Okay, because you had brought that yeah. up to him and he ended up getting a divorce. And so now yeah. you guys are a couple, but yeah. your friends are upset, your family's upset, you guys are a mess, the work is upset. Yes. But My son out of the, is a mess. Your son is a mess. But then out of the blue, he says, would you like to, we should go to church together. How's that? Was he a Christian? <laughs> he grew up in the Church of Christ okay. and became a believer at 12. And then after that, he went to church here and there. And then when he was married, he, they went to church once uh, once a week. But he said he was a good Christian one hour a week. Got it. Got it. Which That's is so relatable you. to a lot of people in America. You know, I mean, mm. it, people around the world, if they're going to be a Christian, they're going to be a Christian. But in America, a lot of people can say like, oh, I'm a good, I'm good enough, you know, and I'll go to church. Mm. Okay. So I am up to date. You yeah. and this man who you've had an affair with, and now he's yeah. had a divorce. You guys are going to church together. All right, I'm in. Yes. I'm on the edge of my yes. seat. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we we moved in together and we start shopping for a church. And every Sunday we went to a different church and none of them seemed to fit. Of course, I, I didn't even know what I was looking for, mm -hmm. to be honest, but it just didn't feel right. And on October 20th, 2002, at 10.15 a.m., I remember the time, we walked into Mariner's Church and just after one worship song, the pastor started to teach about a woman who met Jesus at a well. Had been married multiple times and was living with a man who was not her husband. And that was me. I find myself in her story. And for the first time, I had hope that maybe there was a better way. That was my knuckle. <laughs> You know, that's it. That that took me down. And I went on a journey of trying to understand this Jesus. Um, obviously, as a kid, I saw Jesus on the cross. And I know I had heard about him. I don't want to say that I didn't. It's not like people out there in some country that don't know. But I was so close-minded, so close-minded. I wanted to be a good person on my own. Mm. Whew, and... Jesus met me there. He met me at that church. And what are the chances? The Bible's really big, okay? There's, I think, 1,300 pages and lots of stories. And the women at the well is something people preach at, but not too often. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I heard the gospel. Mm -hmm. The pastor, I have the outline. And he pulled it out. And on one side, it had the story of the women at the well. And on the back, it had the drawing. You're on this side of the ravine. There's a big ravine. God is on the other. You can't make it on the other side except for the cross. Mm -hmm. The cross is how we get to bridge that gap between us and God. And that was, I had never heard the gospel. And I still have that outline. And so that started a journey, a very mm -hmm. uncharted journey. We, we all walked out. I had my two daughters with me. And we, they went to the kids' services. We met outside. And we had this practice. We were thumbs up or thumbs down. Everybody would do it at the same time. Uh -huh. That's what we, we kept not matching for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And that Sunday, all of us had thumbs up. Wow. And that started our journey. My children accepted Christ. Uh, my son, after several years, um, thank God, was able to stop using drugs. And he became a Christian as well. Over the years, our relationship with Jim's daughters, which of course started extremely difficult with a lot of grace, a lot of prayer, a lot of humility and honesty. We have recovered relationship with one another. 
Uh, it's amazing to watch our kids be together when they got thrown into something they did not choose. And I'm not saying there are no consequences. There are. You know, these things don't happen and then you kind of turn a leaf and it's all over. We have things that we still deal with, but I can tell you God has been incredibly faithful uh, in my journey and surprised me in ways that I, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, that was 20 years ago. Is my math right on the dates that you ago. said? 20 years ago, yeah, almost 20, 20 uh, almost 21 years ago this year. And you yeah. kind of skipped over it, but I think I'm assuming that the man that you're married to now is yes. the man yes, that you, you got married. Yes. What did yes. that, like, I'm, I'm also trying to pick myself up over here from the puddle on the ground of you walking into mm-hmm. that church and that being the sermon and the text that was covered and how much relate that was to you. And in all the stories that we hear on Encounter, there's this moment where it just makes me kind of literally weepy. I need to get myself together. But literally mm-hmm. weepy to see how kind God was to you yes. on that day yes. of yeah. you really feeling like I'm on the bottom here. I have screwed everything up. Like there's, I can't go any further down. This is, imagine what you had to been feeling. And then for God to bring you to a place where he really lavished you that day with love. Um, I would love to hear from you because so many people understand that feeling of the bottom. They understand what it feels to be like on the bottom. They've either been there, they're there potentially right now as they're listening to us. And you have this encounter with Jesus, and then we want to feel like, and then everything was okay. And I know that's (laughs) not true. (laughs) And so what did that, those first couple of weeks, months, years, what did that look like for you on this journey of following Jesus? And then I would imagine having to deal with shame and how am I here? And let's not also skip past the fact that 20 years later, you're a teaching pastor at that same church that you walked into (laughs) in October, almost 21 years ago. And so I would love to just hear. What are those first couple of weeks, months, years feel like for you as a new believer, feeling like you're bringing so much shame to the table? Yes, I, they were so hard. They were so hard. While we were continuing to come to the church every Sunday, I can't tell you that, oh, it was just all done. You know, that story kept us coming. But I had never read the Bible. So the first thing I need to do is start reading the Bible. So the following year, I started reading the Bible for the first time. And we went on a bike ride one Sunday and skipped church because it was a beautiful Sunday morning. And again, we were not yet in a good rhythm. And I fell off my bike and broke my collarbone and hurt my back pretty bad. And so I was in bed for three weeks. It was so bad. And I had nothing to do. So I thought, I'm going to read this Bible. I've never read the Bible before. And as I was reading it, I read the Ten Commandments. It was a chronological Bible, so it had the Ten Commandments It's in the Bible twice. And so I read them twice, uh, out of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it hit me so strongly. I have broken every single one of God's commands. Mm. If you know the Ten Commandments, you know the Ten Commandments include you shall not murder. Mm. And here's the thing. Jesus later gave context to to those passages where they're, they're more than just murder, not, right? That murder also relates to our contempt towards one another. But I didn't know that. I just took it for face value. Mm-hmm. You shall not murder. And I had two abortions when I was a young woman. I had one when I was 18 and another one right after my divorce when I was 23. And when that hit me, 
the shame was even more compounded. Like there was massive shame because of my affair. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden here we think, okay, we're at church. There's hope for me. But now I'm realizing I'm more broken than I realize. Mm. I am so, such a mess. So that was another layer that God revealed. Like you think, oh, you, you go to church and you become a Christian and then it's all better. No, mm -hmm. God was unveiling how dark my heart was mm. over time. And God, God is so amazing because I think he knew he wasn't going to crush me. I was already so crushed. Like mm -hmm. I was already crushed. I recently heard someone say, will you allow God to crush you so that new wine can come out? I think it's press you so that new wine can come out or crush you so that new oil can come out. And the God was crushing me mm. for new oil. It's the best way I can describe it. Mm. And I kept reading. I kept reading. It took me until the end of the year to get to the New Testament and the story of Jesus. So it was a lot of shame before I got to grace. Mm. Let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. Jim and I were going to this church and we're pretty much staying in the back, back area, staying to ourselves, knowing that nobody would want to talk to us. You know, we were a mess. Mm -hmm. And, but it was over time that God was starting to reveal and make, have us make friendships over time. I got past that point when I started to accept grace. I got baptized the following year kind of get a new refresh. Mm -hmm. And what was beautiful is I, as I was walking into the water, it was so busy. They had me go down with another person. So two of us were being baptized at the same time. And she was part of the choir and the choir came to sing for her. So they started singing this amazing song for her, but I got to experience that moment. So it was like a new cleansing, a new layer was being removed by God. And then it took from that point, another five years for me to really let go of shame. Mm. So a total of about seven years on my journey of faith was still living under deep, deep shame for my story, my mm -hmm. past. We were very honest with people. We told people right from day one, our story, how we landed at Mariners, what our lives were like. So by, I'm so grateful that God gave us that wisdom. It's mm -hmm. just one little wisdom I had left, maybe because I had nothing else, was like, yeah. I'm just going to be honest about my yeah. story. Mm -hmm. And that helped us because it people were, some people shied away from us. Other people actually leaned in closer mm -hmm. and walked with us. And But it took a long time to let go of shame, a long time. It, it actually took a trip to Israel when our pastor, they took us to the Sea of Galilee, the very same place where Peter went in shame after rejecting Jesus three times and denying him and Jesus coming back to him three times asking him, do you love me and follow me? Come, right? Come follow me. Come follow, feed my sheep. And what our pastor had us do is to pick up a rock and throw it out into the Sea of Galilee and leave something behind there mm -hmm. in Israel. And he looked at Jim and I, and we were a pool of tears. By that. <laughs> I'm sure. And he said, the two of you, need to leave shame behind here. Mm. And the way he put it to us, and I say this so that those who are listening who might relate to any part of my story, who feel like I used to feel, that nothing could save us, that we've done so much that God can't love us, that we are damaged goods, that maybe people are happy we're saved, but we should just be quiet and sit in the back of the church. Mm. If that's you, here's what I want you to hear. My pastor looked at us and said, Jim and Inez, you don't believe in grace. 
you don't understand grace. Let me, let me tell you about grace. Mm. And he went forth to share with us how Jesus went on the cross to die for everything, 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 past, present, and future, that there is no sin too large where his grace isn't willing to go and die, and that he died for everything we did. And that when we accept that and we can let go of our shame, we shine a light on his grace, not on ourselves, but on his grace. So he said, you need to go over there and you need to throw those rocks and you need to leave your shame here and go and live in the freedom that's been purchased for you with very expensive grace. Mm. And so we did. In a lot of tears, we took those rocks and we were looking for the largest boulder possible, <laughs> but there were no boulders, just little pebbles on the Sea of Galilee. But we threw them out into the water and uh, looked at each other and said, okay, we are leaving shame behind. Mm. We don't leave sadness. There is sadness for our choices, of course. There, there are consequences for our choices. We don't leave that behind. That doesn't go away. Mm. God doesn't take those things away. Um, they've become lessons for us to learn for ourselves, but also to share with others. Um, and there is a sense of grief and mourning mm. for things that were lost because of our choices that probably never leaves, leaves us. Mm. But we do not live in shame ever again. That's done. That is finished. We just celebrated Easter, you know, not too long ago. It is finished. Mm -hmm. And so that was the journey that got me into the next things that God had for us. And that's what I felt called to teach, which made no sense. Mm -hmm. I'm a brand new Christian. How can I teach anything? But I was reading that Bible every year over and over again. And I ended up in seminary because I wanted to learn fast. I was already in my 40s. And someone said, well, maybe you should go to seminary. You can learn more there. But you remember... I was a college failure. I failed college. So it took me two years to get into seminary, going through junior college classes and all kinds of things. But I did. And in the middle of seminary was when I was invited to preach for the first time. Mm. Imagine my shock. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't God amazing yeah. that he... I couldn't believe it. He's like, why me? You, why would you have me teach? Mm -hmm. I, I'm the last person you should have teach. I still think I'm the last person to have me teach. But that's by the world standard, not mm -hmm. the way that God works. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've been teaching at Mariner's Church for 12 years now. I've actually had the opportunity to teach in other countries as well and tell this story, which is pretty shocking, or especially people from an Eastern context mm -hmm. who don't experience divorce like we do in the U.S. Yeah. But I share it because... I want grace to be on display. And I'm a, I think I'm a pretty big picture of God's grace. You're a great picture of God's grace, and we all are. And, you know, I think in my journey of following Jesus as well for, let's see, um, to over 20 years as well following him, I would say, and as my story is different than yours for sure, but I still had a lot of things in my life that brought me so much shame. And I always say it took me also years to let go of those. And the freedom that I felt on the other side of that is unexplainable. And when I talk to women, a lot of times they'll, they have embraced God's love for them. They have even embraced his salvation. They have embraced Jesus' death, but it's like, they're still packing bags that they're carrying with them yeah. with that shame. And, um, one of the things that's been so good for me to think about is, 
every time I might come before God and say, I'm just too much for you. And that still happens to you and I am sure. And we know how to deal with it. And we ask yeah. for forgiveness and we repent. But every time I would come before him and I'd be like, I'm too much. I brought too much to the table. Are you sure you want me? It's almost like I was having to think like, am I saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough for me? Yeah, Like mm-hmm. he did it for everyone, but Jamie, Inez, we're too much, you know? And, <laughs> and I had to come to terms with like, that was being actually pretty cruel for me to say prideful, to Jesus, right? prideful. Yes. yes. Like I'm too much for you, you know? And so that's been super helpful for me uh, to think that. And I hope that the listeners are hearing that as well from both of us. And then another thing that's been helpful for me is you, you mentioned Peter. And I have taught about Peter a couple of times in the last couple of months. And one of my favorite things that I think about with Peter is that Jesus chose Peter to be the rock on which he would build his church. Jesus chose Peter to be his disciple. Jesus chose Peter knowing good and well what Peter was going to do. Yeah, Like there was, Jesus wasn't caught off guard. Jesus even said to him, you're going to deny me three times. And he had already chosen him and he knew the good works he was going to do. And that brings me so much comfort to know that God is not going, well, (laughs) I didn't know all this was going to happen, you guys. And so he's so faithful to us. Um, I would love for you just to to encourage us um, on the flip side of where you are today, 20 years out. what does it look like for you now? Because um, when these moments might come up, even you recounting your story, or I remember when I wrote my book, telling a lot of my story, I had to fight some things that like, where is this coming from? I put this to death all these years ago. And you might be thinking, I threw this into the Sea of Galilee. Why is this back? What is your method for really kind of putting those shame cycles um, to death and silencing them? What does that look like for you? Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. The first thing I've done is accept that when I tell the story, it reminds me of God's grace. So I didn't like telling my story for a while. I want you to know, Jim and I would be in new social circles, right? We had to start making friends all over again. Yeah. And so people would go around the table. How did you two meet? Let's uh-huh. go around telling every... It seemed like... Uh, by the way, I don't remember that question being asked in the last 10 years. <laughs> Until the then. first 10 years of our marriage, first 10 years of our marriage, it seemed like everyone wanted to know, how did you two meet? It was like God wanted us to tell that story. And every time we just cry and cry and cry. Mm-hmm. And the emotion was shame. No question mm-hmm. about it. For the first mm-hmm. seven years, it was shame. It was like, oh, that's it. No one's going to like us. We're never being invited again. We just lost whatever friends we made. Mm-hmm. We're done. Now, when I tell my story, 
I have an emotion of sadness. Mm. I know that this hurt people. You know, I, I want to take responsibility for that, that my choices affected others. I name my two unborn children, Micah and Angel. Mm. If there were girls, it would be Micaela and Angela. I name them and I mourn and I grieve and I think that's appropriate. I, my emotions aren't shame anymore. Uh, my emotions are just sadness and grief mm. for the choices I've made and the effect that they have on others and myself, mm-hmm. obviously on my children and our grandchildren, because this is my story. But every time I tell my story, I also see grace all over again. Mm. So I feel like God, you know, even sharing it with you here, it's difficult, no question about it. But I also leave these kind of situations knowing, God, thank you for your grace. I'll never undervalue your grace because mm. every time I think about my own story, I'm reminded of how powerful it is. Mm. And so when I put it in writing, it was definitely a new level. It's one thing to say it, but you put it into a book and now it's like out there in the world. Usually I'm looking at someone's face when I'm telling my story. Like right now, I don't see your listeners, but I'm looking at you and you have a beautiful face and a beautiful smile. And so it gives me comfort as I share. But when I send out my book, People are reading this, and I have no idea how it's affecting them. And that's vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable feeling. And so, and I don't think it's for everyone to do what I did. But at the same time, I'm grateful I'm I'm getting to do this, and I'm getting to help others be released of those bags that they're carrying. Mm -hmm. Because here's the big picture. Why I wrote my book was because my story is very uncharted. You would never expect this story to be like this. And But but that's actually how God works. You see that in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So many stories, like you said, Peter, but look at Moses, my goodness. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many people, David, you know, the beloved one who does something awful. Yeah. In oftentimes, this is a story of the Bible, and yet God is, it is not uncharted to him. Like mm-hmm. you said, he knows the future. He knows ahead. He is so wise that when we don't surprise him, we don't shock him. We grieve him, okay, because he's a loving father who wants mm-hmm. the best for us. But he's always leaning towards us. So I wrote Uncharted because I wanted this story out and I wanted people to, who were carrying bags to put them down because mm. here's what I learned. When I finally let go of shame, when Jim and I did that, I feel like we were really able to serve the Lord with an amazing mm. freedom and a, so much fruit has come out of this season. And I think we limit our fruitfulness when we're carrying something God really already paid for. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're listening to this and you're carrying a load, it does not take a a big thing to do. You can go to your backyard and throw a rock if that works. You can write it on a piece of paper and then burn it. Figure out a way to let go of that shame and live in the freedom that's been purchased for you because God loves you that much. That is so good. Yes, he does. And I love when you said that when you let go of that shame, it's when you began to really step into the work that God had for you. And that's not a coincidence or surprise. That's really, really great. I think that you said, you know, sharing your story is not for everybody. And there's a lot of people who this would really freak them out and scare them. And I always encourage people to share their story, not from a stage, not with a microphone, not on a podcast, not in a book, but just share it with the people that you interact with. Because I truly believe in us when we share 
the hard that we've been through, we actually get to point people to the goodness and gracefulness of God. Amen. And so it's this Amen. pointing back to them. Like you and I are not sharing our stories to say, look at me. It's like, hey, look at Jesus and look at God and look at the spirit and look what they've done for us. And it's really exciting. When I was talking about Peter a couple times this past semester, I was doing a little work and I read um, somewhere where um, it was said that a lot of historians and scholars and theologians believe that the reason that we have Peter's um, betrayal of Jesus in the Bible is because he would have told the disciples to write it. People might have thought John could have potentially been there, but Matthew, Mark, Luke were not there when he denied Jesus three times. And so when you think about it, the reason that we have that story potentially is because Peter said, you guys, you got to put it in. You got to put it in. And he could have easily wanted to like kind of go inward and let's not tell about all the bad things I've done. But what he was showing us is like, I denied Jesus three times and he still loved me, still chose me, still used me. And so there's hope for all of us. And as I am, I am better today because of having this conversation with you. And I am Mm. so grateful for your story and your work and your ministry. And I just want blessings upon blessings upon you as you lead your people at your church and your family and your sweet grandkids as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jamie. And I pray for every listener that they would be encouraged today by God's love. The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com.